Okay, I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do. Bilam. Bilam is uh, is probably the most interesting character in the Chumash. Nevertheless, we still don't name our children or grandchildren Bilam <laughs> for some reason. Because even though he was, he seems to have been a lot closer to God than most people. It's not good enough. So Bilam is. Uh, He's rejected from the name game. Okay, uh, here you see uh, the parish of Bilam. Just let's look at a couple of psukim. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about the story of Bilam and his ass. That's how they say it. I'm not sure exactly what the difference is. But here you see this painting which Rabbi Sachs put in the sheet. The famous painting of Rema. How are you? It must be the summer, right? It says, Rembrandt, the ass of Balaam, talking before the angel. What do you think of that? We'll get back to the picture in a minute. I mean, since he, I didn't ask that that should be put on the sheet, but since it's on the sheet, I'll have to say something about it. <coughs> the story of Bilam and Atono has the following features in it. First... Uh, uh, Bilam didn't see and the Chaton did see right? see he didn't see seeing is a quality that's usually associated with a prophet Bilam was a prophet however you understand that right? that statement however you will explain it to your children or grandchildren it's nevertheless true that Bilam was a prophet it's also true that the Aton, that the Bilam's ass, was not a prophet. At least, it would be difficult for us to understand how a donkey could be a prophet. It's sort of counter-indicated. Nevertheless, when it says in the Pasuk, that means that the donkey saw something, that Bilam didn't see it, and then he became aware of it. So that means that Bilam the prophet didn't see. And then because he was a prophet, he did see. But who saw all the time? The donkey. The donkey saw all the time. Now this is something, as we will see in a moment, that no one has ever been able to explain. And then, this is the story, right? Then, that's prophecy. I mean, it's true that the Rishonim discuss what the difference between and but both of these are exalted exalted moments. Vayomer Elav, Malach Hashem, is not something that happens often. It's the way Moshe Rabbeinu, when he approached the snare, heard from Malach Hashem. Right? He heard from Malach Hashem. Vayomer Elav, Malach Hashem, Ma'akisas, Asulcha, Zeshalosh Regalim, and then it's under like the, all right. So Malach Hashem has a ta'ana against against Bilam. But it's not really a ta'ana. Why isn't it a ta'ana? Why is it? It's not really a ta'ana because Bilam didn't see. So how could he say? How could the Malach say to Bilam, why did you do it? After all, the Aton was protecting you. But of course Bilam didn't know that the Aton was protecting He thought that the Aton was being a donkey. Or that the donkey was being an ass. Or one of the one of those possible combinations of words. But that's what Bilam thought. So now Bilam is finding out something else. And then Bilam, if you look at Pasuk Lamedalit, Bilam comes up with the most remarkable statement probably in the Chumash. Vayomer Bilam and Malach Hashem Chotosi. Now one of the things that Hashem was very clear about was that Bilam shouldn't go. And that Bilam went, it would seem, against the expressed will of God. So now that the Aton 
is protecting Bilam from the Malach. Bilam finally re- re- uh, uh, realizes that he's got a problem, and he says, Chatasi, Chatasi is a, like a good thing. You know, I'm doing tshuva, I'm changing my way of life. Uh, I understand. I mean, even if it's not something that like, was so easy for me, but I'm changing. Chatasi, that he says, that doesn't sound so good. Like he's saying, okay, if you, the Malach, you're representing God, you say, you want to kill me, so okay, don't kill me. I'll do tshuva. Anything's better than getting killed. And then, So, the whole story ends up to nothing. Right, they have the story. There's Bilam, there's an Aton, there's a Malach, there's Hashem, there's the Sore Moab, the whole thing. They're all on their way, and they have this little interlude. Donkey, talking, hiding, turning this way, turning that way. Bilam says, wow, this is really serious. And then he goes to the Malach and he says, Chotosi, I'm going to do tshuva and I'm not going to go. And what's the end? What's the sum total of the story? He goes, so what happened? I mean, what, like now, let's say the Chumash would have written the story of Bilam and left this out. Would there have been a difference? Is there something we knew that Bilam shouldn't go? We knew that Bilam was doing the wrong thing. What do I know now that I didn't know before? What does Bilam know now that Bilam didn't know before? I mean, where's the donkey fit in? I mean, why did he have to have a donkey. Why couldn't why couldn't Akkodesh Baruch send him an SMS? Ah, because he had a Haredi phone. <laughs> so he couldn't get an SMS. Ah, you see? So it's a riot <laughs> that uh, Bilam tried to look good and he had a Haredi phone. So what is it? What's the story? What's the story about? So if you don't like the way I'm asking the question, turn over the page and look at the Meshachach. The Meshachachma, Rav Meir Simcha Koimidvinsk, wrote a very important parish, a modern parish on the Chumash, which is, you know, which indicates, you see from the, the, the Chumash, that he was both a great Talmud Chacham in the classical way, and a very interesting, inventive kind of analyst of the Chumash itself. So it's worth, you know, if you, if you never look at it, you should look at it from time to time. The Meshachachma. Uh, some people say that his reputation is based on the, the chidushim he wrote on the Rambam and others say that his reputation is based on the chidushim he wrote on the Chumash but the, uh, and the Meshachachma has been given an addition in modern times Rabbi Kuperman for the Michala put out the uh, Meshachachma in a rather elaborate edition but you know elaborate is not bad it's just that it takes up more room on the bookshelf that's what elaborate means. So now listen to this. Listen to what the Meshachachma says. Hakadmonim. Kadmonim, he means the good guys. You know, like we shown him the early commentaries. He means our team. Those are the Kadmonim. Nitzpal'u al-nes p'tichad pihato. They could never understand this whole story about the Aton talking. Mato aliyutaya b'nes gadol so this is like a good one. A little chap. He says, who saw that this was going on? Only the representatives of Balak who had come to bring Bilam to their, to their place. There wasn't anybody else there. They're the only ones who are going to be pre- impressed. Vayen, by Ibn Ezra, who asked this question. And then he says, he says, I have a theory. Vanir e. So he says, What's this whole story about? What difference does it make if Bilam curses the Jews or doesn't curse the Jews? I mean, Bilam is, after all, he's either an agent of God or he's nothing at all. So if he's not an agent of God, then he curses the Jews. So it's another, you know, another unfriendly episode. But it's not world-shaking. Like, the world is not going to change if, if uh, Bilam 
curses the Jews. This is an introduction to a novel idea. Right? This is what he says. He wanted, after all, now we're coming to the critical part in Jewish history, the second half of the book of Amidbar, where they're about to enter into the land of Israel, and they want to fight. God wants them to fight certain battles, but doesn't want to fight everybody all at once and all the other nations. So he says, so he says, that's the raya. So again, when the we spoke about this once, when the Viraglim came to Yericho and they met up with Rachav, what did Rachav say? Rachav said, "We know. We know. What do we know?" We know that Am Yisrael is being directed by God and is being led to Eretz Yisrael and we don't stand a chance against all of that. So, according to the Meshach how did they know? I mean, how did they know? Okay, B'nai Yisrael fought a battle with Sichon and with Og. They had a couple of battles which they won, but how did they know? How did they know? So the Meshach says, well, they knew from Bilam. Because if Bilam prophesied a future a positive future for Am Yisrael and if all the nations of the world listened to the prophecy of Bilam, then they knew that Bnei Yisrael were gonna, was going to win. And then he goes on to explain, you'll see, you'll have time, you look at the rest of the, at the passage, he goes on to explain, Pasuk by Pasuk, how Bilam affected the future of the history of Am Yisrael. So the question was, what's all this stuff about Bilam? Who cares? Why should God do miracles for Bilam? Why should God care? Or why should we care if Bilam wants to curse B'nai Israel or not? The whole thing doesn't mean anything. Question. Answer. By overpowering Bilam, by overpowering Bullock, by showing that God is clearly on the side of B'nai Israel, who would be impressed, according to the Meshachachma? Who would be impressed? The Goyim. The Goyim, because they said, oh, if, if Bilam said it, then we really don't have a chance. What's the proof that the Goyim were impressed? Rochov. Because when the witness, when the um, spies came to Rochov and they talked to her and she said, we know, right, we know that, uh, that, you are, that you're in charge of the world and that you're going to win and please save me, my family, all of that, all of that stuff. They knew it from Bilam. That's the end of the story according to, according to, uh, according to the Meshachach. So the Meshachachmeta teaches us two things. One, is that there's a question. And two, that the answer is not obvious. Right? It's not such like an obvious statement in the Chumash which brings me to an answer. So I would like to try to bring up another possibility. In order to do that, we have to learn a little bit about last week's Parsha. You remember in last week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu, last week's parasha is Chukas, right? Chukas. Moshe Rabbeinu sinned. We know that he sinned, but we don't know what he did. We also know that the sin was very serious. We still don't know what it was that he did. He had something to do with hitting a rock instead of speaking to the rock, etc. But we don't know exactly what it was. So if you look at the sheet, if you look at the sheet, the sheet says, if you look at the sheet in Perak, Shmot Perak Yud Zion, right? The first statement in the sheet. First statement in the sheet says this, Vayisu kol adat b'nei Yisrael bar sin l'maseihem al pi Hashem, Vayachanu b'refidim, Vein mayim l'shtot ha'am, this is the main thing. Ein mayim l'shtot ha'am. This is right after Yitziat Mitzrayim. Right after Shirat Hayam. Right? Ein Mayim. Vayarev ha'am em Moshe vayamru tenulad umayim v'nishteh vayobu le Moshe matirivunim v'dim atanasunat Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu said, 
I mean, what are you bothering me for? I mean, we're, we're doing Yitziat Mitzrayim now. I mean, we're like miracles happening all the time. What are you worried about? It's not like you're driving and there's a sign that says 3,000 miles to the next, 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 next gas station. This was uh, B'nai Yisrael, you know, they were riding on the wave of the Ten Commandments, of the, of the Eser Makot, right? The Ten Makot, the Mitzrayim, of Kriyat Yamsuf. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, what, what are you talking about? I mean, what do you mean there's no water? You'll get a little thirstier, there'll be water. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, why, why, why are we concerned? By Itzmasha Ma'am Lamayim. Alright, it's getting worse. Right? We're not only thirsty, we're parched. We're really hot. It's awful, right? So Moshe doesn't say where's the water? Because he knows that B'nai Yisrael have adopted a problematic attitude. I mean, how could you ask for water? I mean, what's the, it'll come. There'll be water. Just like there was everything else. There'll be water. Remember this story? This is not last week's parasha. This is Mishalach. Right? This is the Parsha B'Shalach. So HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, take your staff. What's the staff? The staff is, like, you know, when I do a miracle, I have a staff. What does the staff do? Basically, sometimes the staff is active, and sometimes the staff is passive. You know, sometimes Moshe Rabbeinu says, oh, he sticks the staff out. Sometimes he gives a whack on something, right? And sometimes he just has it. Right, so somehow uh, it empowers Moshe Rabbeinu or it tells the people that something exciting is about to happen. Take the staff. Okay, you got it? This is a posse. It's in the Chodesh. Every year in Tashat B'Shalach, this posse comes up. Every year. Now, there isn't a single word in the Pasuk that you don't understand. I will go through the words. But I can't imagine that you know what it means. Or if you do, you'll have to get up and give the rest of the Shia. Listen to what it says. Hinini, this is who's speaking. Right? Hashem is speaking. Hinini, Hinini. Okay, that's already problematic. But we know that some of Hashem says, Anochi. Hinini. Okay. So we'll get through that somehow. Omeid lefanecha sham. Now, what could that possibly mean? Don't tell me. Then it says al hatsur. What does hatsur mean? What is what is tsur? A rock. And what does hatsur mean? What? Uh, it's a rock with a definite article, right? The. When we say the rock, what does it mean? It means a rock that is distinguishable from other rocks. Omeid lefonecha alatzur means I, Hakadosh Baruch Hu Kaviyochol, I'm standing before you on the rock. The rock. What's the rock? Anyways, like in other words, there are two coordinates here. With Moshe, I'd say Moshe, I want you to go to a rock. Which rock? I want the rock that God is standing above, which I guess meant something to Moshe Rabbeinu. He'd come out to the rock and he'd say, oh, there it is. But I wanted to have it. There's another coordinate. What's the other coordinate? It's the rock. In other words, you would recognize the rock even if Akadosh wasn't standing on it. Like, there are two definitive, two ways of defining this rock. I mean, I'm giving you, a, a, I'm annoying you on this because of what we're going to learn shortly. But you have to understand that you could read the Pasuk this way. You could say, you know, modern. You know what modern is? Modern is like modern. Modern is, okay, so you have a definitive article, maybe it doesn't mean anything. That's called modern. But we'll be not so modern. I will say the Pasuk is odd, because if Hashem made al tsur, that would mean you look around, and what are you looking for? 
You look for Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And we see Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Memele, you found the the rock. But the pasuk says, "Hiriyah made al al tzur." But which tzur? Hatzur, a special tzur that has some way of being recognized. Some way, some way of being recognized. Now. The Pesach says, Vaita Bechorev. Okay, Chorev we know. I mean, you can think about why. It's called Sinai sometimes. Sometimes it's called Sinai. Sometimes it's called Chorev. But that's not our issue. But it's certainly a question that you might ask. Vikita Batsur. Vikita Batsur. Clear. Clear as day. Clear as day. You're supposed to, Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to speak to the, to the Moroc? No. So you have a picture. God. Rock, staff, and Moshe Rabbeinu, everything getting whacked, right? It's like, like, what's going on here? Do you understand what's going on? Vikita Batsur, it's like, it's like what it, why does he have to hit the rock? So what is it that B'nai Israel is supposed to learn from the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is whacking away at the stone? That it's a miracle, right? What if... The same question you could ask last week. What if Moshe didn't whack away at the stone? So that it wouldn't be a miracle. I mean, God is standing on this, on this stone. So what would they think? Let's say Moshe had walked over to the stone very politely. And then suddenly water started coming out of the stone. Moshe didn't do anything. And God is there. So what would people think? They would think it's God. I imagine. So what does he have to whack the stone and what does he have to whack it with the mate for? What's, what's, just, what's happening? What's the simple, like there's some kind of interrelationship between God and the animate, that's Moshe Rabbeinu, and the inanimate, that's the stone, and it's all together, it's all mixed in together. What's clear in the Pasuk? That Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to whack away at the stone. That's clear. That's clear, in spite of the fact that we don't know why and what difference does it make to anybody. These are all questions that are asked in last week's parasha, right? The Barbanel asked all these questions. But you could ask it right here. We're here. It's very clear that you have to whack the stone. Now let's look at last week's parasha. Oh, Rikisa Batsur. You see? You see Rashi? Right after the Chumash is Rashi on the sheet. Alatsur lo nemar. Elabatsur. Mikan shamate haya shelmin davar chazak ushmo san piron ve hatsur nikbal lefana batsur. Batsur means whatever it means. Rashi, but Rashi, the reason I wanted to just quote Rashi is because Rashi is sensitive to the use of the prepositions. Right? Even though we are not so sensitive to that, we don't care. You put in a preposition, they got a preposition, you know, it doesn't bother us one way or the other. Right? But Rashi is sensitive to it. And so Hatsur is also the same kind of issue. Now let's look at Bamidbar Perikov. Bamidbar Perikov is last week's parsha, right? Last week's parsha. Vayikalu Moshe Varon et hakahal al Pnei HaSela. Vayomolehem et Pnei HaSela. Vosidos HaSela. It's, it's a definitive article, right? I get a definitive article. What's Hasela? I know it's Moshe Rabbeinu knew where to go. He knew which Sela he was, he was going to. Vayom Olehem, Shimunah HaMorim, right? Everybody knows the Rambam, you know, puts a lot of stock into this statement, Shimunah HaMorim, that the Chait of Moshe Rabbeinu was that he became angry. And the anger, anger is not commensurate with Torah. When a person is angry, he can't, he doesn't act in the way he thinks or the way he assesses. He acts in a different way. So it means that when Moshe Rabbeinu was angry, he wasn't representing the Torah and that was the chait, that's the chilol Hashem of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Ramah says this in his introduction to Perchelet. But, that's the words here, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Hamin hasela azeh notzi lochem mai. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, Moshe did this already once. I mean, what is he saying to B'nai Yisrael? Do you believe? I mean, go ahead, Moshe Rabbeinu, do it. Then they'll all believe. What do they have to say they're going to believe before you do it? There's a problem. 
As the Rambam says, all these miracles are connected to problems, and you solve the problem with a miracle. As the Rambam says, so so do it. What, what are you asking, Bnei Yisrael? I mean, I sell them to the mind. Vayorem Moshe es yodo vayach et hasela b'matehu pa'amayim. And then he picked up his hand and he hit the sela b'matehu pa'amayim. Vayitzu mayim rabim v'teshda idav b'irav. So this seems to be great. I mean. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, what's Moshe Rabbeinu doing? I mean, well, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, Pshat! HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, take the mata and go to the cellar and, and make it give water. So what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He said, oh, this must be a rerun of the parasha B'Shalach. So I'll do the same thing that they did in the parasha, that I did in the parasha B'Shalach. I mean, Pshita. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. So now, oh, the Torah then goes on and says... What does that mean? Well, what's the what's the chilul Hashem? Moshe Rabbeinu did exactly what God told him to do in the parish of Bishalach. What's wrong with that? Well, you're supposed to do something else. I mean, what could be better than doing what God tells you to do? Here, God was not so clear, but before He was clear. Now let's look at the Rashi. The Rashi says, "Habina sela." You see the pasuk, "Habina sela hazed So he said that this is problematic. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu say this to Bnei Israel? What difference? The Rashi says this, "Habina sela The Rashi tells us a story that's found in the Medrash. But when Rashi tells a story that's found in the Medrash, that means that that's what he understands the Chumash is saying. He can't understand the Chumash any other way. It's not that Rashi wanted to teach us stories. Rashi wanted to teach us Chumash. But in order to understand the Chumash, Rashi felt that you have to know this extra piece of information. Which is all right, because everybody who reads anything, when you read something, you read the newspaper in the morning. Newspaper says, blah, 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 blah. So you say, oh, I know what the newspaper is talking about, because you know about it. Not because it says everything. So the Chumash is the same way. The people who learned the Chumash, they knew what the Chumash would say. We have to refer back to the Medrash in order to find out what the Chumash is really saying. And then the Medrash itself became very complicated, so all came Rashi. Rashi says... This Medrash is the basic Pshat Medrash of the Chumash, right? So what's the basic Pshat Medrash of the Chumash in this Pesach? Listen to Rashi. Rashi says, They didn't know which rock it would be that would give out the water. Can you imagine this story? Again, Hamin HaSela HaZeh Rashi, Rashi says, here's Moshe Rabbeinu, he's saying to all of B'nai Israel, think I could do it with this rock? And what was the question? The question was, is this the right rock? I mean, everybody knows there's only one rock that's going to give out the water, and I better hit the one that's going to give out the water, but I might hit the... So Moshe Rabbeinu said, you think I can do it, guys? Like, you know, to B'nai Israel? You think this is the right rock? So Rashi says, how could he ask such a question? Rashi says, Levisha halacha sela and everybody knows that it's hard to, to distinguish one rock from the other and here this rock ran away this is a great story right here Kodesh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu go and do it Moshe Rabbeinu goes and he says where's the rock right where's the rock I need I, got, I can't just hit a rock I've got to hit the rock right I've got to hit the rock and then Everybody understood that the rock had escaped. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to B'nai Israel, "Oh, you think I'm going to be able? You think I'll be able to do it? Think I'm to, to recognize the rock and do it?" Rashi, back to Rashi. sarbanim. He says B'nai Israel would say. What are you talking about? What has it got to do with anything? Just do it. And then Moshe Rabbeinu got angry. There's a different story according to Rashi. There's another story. There's a miracle. And what's the miracle? 
What's the miracle according to Rashi? What's the add-on miracle? The add-on miracle is that the first time that Moshe Rabbeinu did it, there was God standing on top of the tzur in some way or other. Right? And therefore, it was clear to everybody that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to the right rock. Today, it's not clear anymore. They're just like rocks all over the place. And everybody understands because of event number one that you can't just go over to a rock and say, rock of ages, let's have some water. But you have to go to the designated rock. That's what everybody understands according to Rashi. What happened to the designated rock? The designated rock got lost. It's gone. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, you think I could do it? think I can do it? I can find the rock? And they all got angry at Moshe Rabbeinu. But this question, when Moshe Rabbeinu turns to the Bnei Yisrael, he says, well, what is he saying to them? What, what is the issue here? So I'll tell you, let's look at the Shemi Shmuel. The Shemi Shmuel, the Shemi Shmuel is the Sochet The Shemi Shmuel is the Sochet the son of the Avdi Nezer. He wrote a long parish on Chumash, which comprised mostly the Drashot of his father. His father was an extremely brilliant, uh, I mean, you know, everybody I quote is very brilliant, so it's hard to tell the difference between them, but, but he was extremely brilliant. A Hasidish Rebbe, he was called the Sochachov Rebbe, his name was Bornstein. And, uh, but he couldn't write. He didn't like to write, and he couldn't write. So his son, whose name was Shmuel, wrote up everything in the name of his father, both the Chuvos and the Chumash, Dava on the, on the Chumash. So some of the stuff on the Chumash, I guess, is the son, his own novel ideas. But most of it comes from his father. And it was written up by the son. So listen to this. Listen to this. The Shemishmuel. You see on page two, the right-hand column. It's in the Shemishmuel to Chukas. This is called Chasidus. But if I didn't tell you it was Chasidus, you wouldn't know. Right? So it's nothing wrong. Nothing terrible will happen. Listen to what the Shemish Mul said. Hikshu Hamifoshim. Hikshu Hamifoshim. I don't know who he's talking about. Achash Kavanata Shemit Barachaya Lidaber Elasela. After all, we all know, because we learned it in Rashi, that Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to speak to the rock in the parish of Chukat. Lama Amar Kachet Hamate. So why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to Moshe Rabbeinu, take the Mateh? This question is asked by the Ibn Ezra, by the Barbanel, and many other perushim. V'nireh, dehinei ma, shebepam arishona, haya tsarich lahaka'a, ubapam ashniya haya dai bedibur bilvad. So he says, so that means we have a disparity between story number one in Bishalach and story number two in Chukat. So he says, now I would like to explain to you what the difference between the two stories. Why it is in story number one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, hit the rock, and about that there's no dissent. And in the second story in Chukat, we somehow have the feeling that Moshe Rabbeinu should have spoken to the rock. It's a difference of opinion. Listen. This is what the Sochachavah says. He says, when you do something, when you do something, everybody knows, you do it b'machshova, b'dibur, u'b'maaseh. Which means that, which means that, you have, like, your capacity to make a decision, right, is found first in your mind, and then it crystallizes into words, and then finally, you act on that. You, yeah, so there's, a person, a person, an action that you do 
is a combination of machshava, dibur, and maas. What happens if you do it maase without machshava? What happens if you do a maase without machshava? What happens? Uh, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. We have names for that. Right? Sometimes it could be shogeg. Sometimes it could be misaseg. Right? That's when you do a maase without a machshava. What happens if you have a machshava and you don't do a maase? Usually nothing. Usually nothing. Even though the Shari Tshuva, as you probably know, says that if a person did an Aveira, if a person did an Aveira with a Maise, he, did a, he actually did an Aveira, and he didn't do Tshuva, or he didn't do proper Tshuva, and then he thinks about doing the Aveira again, he might be guilty only by thinking about it. But that's a very special case. Usually we're not guilty. We think all kinds of thoughts. Sometimes our thoughts are not proper. But thoughts are not good enough. But if I work backwards, I would imagine something like this. Because of our limitations, because we're defective, so we don't really do anything because we thought about it. But we have to actually act it out. But higher level personalities, people who have prophecy, people who are closer to God, for them, thinking is not distinguishable from thinking plus masa. Thinking about it is enough. They think about it. They did it. So, again. So this is what the Rebbe said. He says, When Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock, Nishar Bo Roshem, Nishar Bo Roshem, this rock knew that it was the designated rock. It was the rock that God had chosen. It was the rock that was going to give the water to B'nai Yisrael. The rock knew that. The rock knew that already. So now when Moshe Rabbeinu goes a second time to that rock, then what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? What would it be sufficient for, that, for Moshe Rabbeinu to do the second time? What? Dibur. Dibur because the rock knows it's the rock. You know, the rock has already been through this Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock experience. So Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't have to hit the rock again. Doesn't have to hit the rock. But Dibor would be sufficient. He says, V'nei kol zebim haya oso oto hasela ba'atzmo. But you could only say that if rock number two was rock number one. Then you could say, look, here's a rock who's gone through the experience already. He's already been beaten. So now Moshe Rabbeinu comes along and he says, water. And out comes the water. That's enough. Because the Dibur comes on the heels of a Maaseh and the Maaseh affects the Dibur number two. That's what the Shem Yishmuel says. He says, Aval, Im haya sela acher, Vadaya yatsir gankin haka'ah, what do you say? So now remember Rashi. What did Rashi say? So, so, so in other words, Moshe Rabbeinu knew what the Shem Shmuel says. Moshe Rabbeinu understood this. But what happened? Well, the rock disappeared. Moshe Rabbeinu said, gee, I, I know that if I get the same rock, then all I have to do is Dibur. But what happened? The rock ran away and hid itself amongst all the other rocks. So in order to get water out of the rock, to make sure that water, I don't want to like be mechalal Hashem and say water and nothing's going to happen. So I have to hit the rock. That's what he said. And he says, And he says, there's no doubt that Moshe Rabbeinu did not, did not make a mistake. He knew what God said. What did God say? God said, talk to the rock. But Moshe Rabbeinu also knew that because of what had happened, he couldn't talk to the, to the rock. He couldn't exercise this quality that he had of talking to the rock because he didn't know if the rock was the same rock that had gone through the process of Haka'a. <coughs> so, According to the Shemishmur, according to the Shemishmur, it's not always obvious 
It's not always obvious. This is what the Ramban says in Gracious in the beginning of Lech Lecha, that when a Novi speaks, what he says is going to come true. Because even if a Novi says, B'nai Yisrael are going to be punished, maybe they'll do tshuva. Maybe they'll change their minds. Maybe they won't be punished. So that Dibur only works with a Maase. Dibur only works with a that When I say Dibur works with a Maase, I mean that the Dibur is effective, is final, is perfect, only if there's a Maase, a Maase Nevua that goes along, goes along with it. So that's a distinction that we learn from the Chait of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? What was the chait of Moshe Rabbeinu? We don't know. But we know the distinction that was made by the Shem Yishmuel. And the Shem Yishmuel said it's inconceivable that Moshe Rabbeinu would act against the direct command from God. But Moshe Rabbeinu felt that he was doing the right thing. And that's why he hit the rock and didn't speak to the rock. Okay. Now if you look at the sheet at the painting of Rembrandt. You see the painting? Now, as I told you, this was not my idea. But it's here, so what should I do? Should I ignore Rembrandt? This painting of Rembrandt was done when he was a young man. I don't know exactly how old he was. But everybody knows that this was done when he was a young man. <laughs> and it's one of his earlier paintings. So this is like, this is like a full important piece of information that uh, you give. And there's a, like lately been some kind of... Um, uh, people have written about uh, where Rembrandt got his information about the Tanakh from. Like, I didn't know Tanakh. And apparently, uh, Rembrandt was either trying to move up in the world or he was down and down. And he lived in a Jewish neighborhood. He had Jewish neighbors. And the Jewish neighbors apparently were willing to share with him uh, information about the Tanakh. What all of this means, I don't know, but I just thought I would tell you. So in any event, here you have a, here you have a picture. In this picture, there's a, of, of course, all these people are dressed like people might have dressed at the time of, uh, of Rembrandt and the way he thought that, uh, that important people look and, and all of that is not so important. But we see, we see Bilam, who looks like a so Rosh Yeshiva, <laughs> with a stick. He's hitting an animal. The animal, uh, to me, always looked like a horse, but uh, I guess it's, a, it's supposed to be a donkey. But I wouldn't say I'm the world's expert on making a distinction between horses and donkeys. <laughs> but you see that the donkey has a very uh, uh, effective mouth. Like, like this, a donkey you could talk, right? I mean, it's like, uh, like he, he's not eating. He looks like he's talking, doesn't he? All right, maybe you don't think so. It doesn't matter. Then you have, then you have uh, like a malach. You see the Malach, you tell the Malach it has wings. Right? Rembrandt thought that angels always had wings. And, and the, the, it has a sword. Right? And then, who are the guys in the back? What? Yeah, all these the guys who went along with them. So this is a nice picture. If you like it, you like it. And... Uh, you know, how could you not like Rembrandt? I mean, if you don't like Rembrandt, then you have to re-educate yourself. But there's one thing in this picture that is not exactly what you might expect. Like, what, what doesn't fit in with anything in the Chumash? I'll tell you what bothers me. Or what I find curious. I don't know if it bothers me. But you see that Bilam, who really looks good in this picture, you know, Bilam, he has this, this bag, like a, like a saddle bag or something, a kind of a bag that they sell today, even exactly the same kind of bag, you know, to women for hundreds of dollars, made out of real leather. Yes? It's like an imitation of Rembrandt's bag. No? Now what's in the bag? What's in Rembrandt's bag? What? Papers, right? Papers? I, uh, maybe it's a book? 
Right? That's how books looked in those days. They were like sheets of paper, maybe sewn together, maybe not, but could be a paper. Could be paper. We're talking about a book in Rembrandt's time, not a book in Billam's time. Right? So Billam had a book. Billam had a book. What book did he have? What was the book? Okay. Let's get back to the story. The story is, the story is that the atom sees and talks. Right? The atom sees and protects his master, Bilam, with a maaseh. And he talks about what he is doing. Right? He talks about what he is doing. So that, that it turns out that in this kind of little story, who is the prophet and who is in unable to do prophecy? The prophet is the Aton. Because the Aton has the power of speech and also has the wherewithal to act. Because he knows and he acts. He knows that the angel has come to kill Bilam. And he acts in order to prevent Bilam from being killed. So you see, once, once the Shemi Shmuel sensitized us to this idea that prophecy and action are related to each other, and that you could only have prophecy standing alone when the action has already been completed on the cellar. So we look at this story and what do we see? What do we see in this story? We see that the Aton, who is the furthest thing you could imagine from a human who has uh, spiritual qualities, is in fact acting the prophet. And Bilam is not acting at all. In other words, what this proves to us at this point, he says that when, when Bilam said Khatati, and if you don't want me to go, I won't go. It's because Bilam suddenly realized that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had taken away from him the power of prophecy. What is the power of prophecy? The power of prophecy is that you know which is the seller you have to speak to. You know how it is that the words attain a potency. And according to the interaction between the Aton and Bil'am, Bil'am didn't know that. He didn't have any idea of how to turn the words into action. So that when it came for Bil'am to curse the Jews, or to curse, curse B'nai Yisrael, Bullock kept saying to Bil'am, let's do something. What did he suggest that they do? Sacrifice. What are sacrifices? Sacrifices are a maaseh. They're a maaseh, an action that brings man closer to God. Bilam, Bilam wanted to talk. He was not involved in the maaseh. And since he only wanted to talk, since Bilam wanted to talk, he understood, we all understand that Bilam didn't have the power of speech. And therefore, whatever he said was what God wanted him to say. The story with the Aton indicates that Bilam had lost his ability. Bilam had lost the ability to prophesy. Because prophecy and action somehow are connected to each other. And in this case, Bilam lost that, lost that relationship. When do we learn about that? We learn about that with the story of Bilam and the ass. Not that God wanted to kill Bilam. But Bilam had no longer the power of prophecy with which Bullock had hired him. And therefore Bilam became a non-entity in the story. As a result, the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the parasha of Bilam. That's what the Gemara says. Moshe Rabbeinu, of course Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the parasha of Bilam. I mean, who else wrote the Torah? Moshe Rabbeinu, so what are they trying to say? That the prophecy and the truth in the prophecy of Bilam belongs to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
it became a prophecy when Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it down. When it was written down, it was in order for Bilal's prophecy to become, it had to be a maaseh. That the maaseh said, I find it curious. I'm very curious that according to Rembrandt, and I don't think that Rembrandt came to my shear, or that he knew what we were talking about. But it's interesting that Rembrandt thought that Bilam, in order to do this job, thought he had to have a book with him. That either that book had things written in it, or didn't have things written in it. But I tell you again what Chazal say. Chazal said that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the prophecy of Bilam. What do you mean Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the prophecy of Bilam? It means he made it into a prophecy by writing it down in the Torah. What Bilam did was nothing. Bilam was just a foil for the action of Bullock or the desires of Bullock, but he didn't do anything by saying what he said. It became prophecy when Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it down in the Torah. So that Bilam was left with Dibur, but no Maase. He, he became inconsequential, non-existent. He had no way of turning what he wanted to say into something real something effective, something potent. And because he had no way of turning it into something real, effective, or potent, he disappeared, actually. Right? He actually disappeared. And the prophecy that was written down, that he said, belonged to Moshe Rabbeinu. It was the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's the words of Moshe Rabbeinu written down. And by writing them down, by, by that maaseh, they become... They become prophecy for all, all the generations. So it may be that the Meshachachma is also right. That by Bilam saying nice things about B'nai Yisrael, people who didn't understand what prophecy was really about heard that. And maybe that had an effect on them, on their resolve to take, take a stand against B'nai Yisrael. But from the point of view of Torah, like what makes it into real? What made it into a prophecy? The Dibur had to be accompanied by a Maaseh. The Maaseh, in this case, is writing it down in the Torah. Once it's written down in the Torah, it becomes a real prophecy. It was written down in the Torah by Moshe Rabbeinu, and therefore it's the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu no less than any other part of the Torah. This distinction about Dibur and Maaseh, the Shem Mishmuel teaches us in the distinction between uh, Hakar number one, hitting the, the stone in the parish of Bishalach and hitting the stone in the parish of Chukas. Have a good Shabbos.